0: Well, good morning again. It's so good to see everybody. And before we get started with a message today, I want to give you a little bit of an update. Um, our next gen Spiritual Initiative, which we entered into this spring, uh, we are now in the, the stage of the process that we are actually receiving bids for the different parts of the project. And uh, just want you to know that in the next uh, couple of months as our design build firm receives those bids and, and interacts with the different subcontractors Uh, we will be getting a clearer picture of what the cost of the project will actually be. And so uh, two things I wanna encourage you uh, with. First of all, I wanna encourage you to pray. Uh, Pray that God will give us favor and that we will get uh, good prices from uh, uh, subcontractors who will do good work um, and that will enable the process to to move on as we get to that next stage. And then secondly, I wanna encourage you to be faithful in your giving. You know, when we, we let you know about how things were going to unfold. One of the variables as to when we actually get to start the project really, it depends on how, much, uh, how many resources we have at that time. Our, our plan is to be able to break ground on July 1st of next year. Uh, but for that to happen, we need each of us, as we've made our commitments, to stay faithful to those commitments and even if God blesses you and, you and you are led to do something beyond, to, to even give more. So just want to encourage you with that. We are making progress. Um, right now, uh, out in that field, we are growing a lot of really big tumbleweeds. We're good at tumbleweeds around here. Uh, but one day, hopefully really soon, we're going to see um, a new building and see the expansion of uh, the capacity that we have. Uh, to reach our region uh, for Jesus Christ. So I uh, hope you'll be aware of that. We're going to continue to let you know um, about what's going on uh, in the days that are ahead. Well, you want to get your Bibles out, and we are starting a new series today, and it is called Squad Goals. And some of you know that this is a real popular phrase on the internet right now. And, and you know, squad kind of speaks to that desire that we all have I want to be on a team, I want to belong, I want to be together with other people. But then I don't just want it to be about us. I want it to matter. And that's where goals come in because we all want a purpose. We all want our lives to count. Uh, We we want to achieve something. And and if you've ever wondered, could a squad, just a small team of real people make an impact on our world? All you need to do is turn the clock back 2,000 years and think about Jesus' original squad. Just 12 guys, 12 ordinary guys, But Jesus put them together, and and Jesus put his life and power inside them, and they turned the world upside down. Jesus is still today, 2,000 years later, calling people to join his squad, ordinary people just like you and me, calling us to fulfill his purposes, and that's really what we're going to be looking at this next week, the squad goals that we have received from our Savior, Jesus Christ. That help us kind of get into this today, the first thing we're going to look at. I'm going to show you some pictures. Uh, I think some of you have heard uh, of this thing that, that goes on in China pretty, pretty regularly. It's pretty famous, and it's basically, you know, there's Chinese signs, and they translate for English, because English is a very important language there as well. But a lot of times the translations don't quite make the accurate expression that we want to hear, right? In fact, it's gotten so bad that it's all over the internet. It's gotten so bad that uh, in Shanghai, the government has appointed the Shanghai Commission for the management of language use, and they're trying to fix these signs. So I thought it would be kind of fun to see some of them today. You up for that? Uh, Here's here's the first one. It says, execution in progress. Sometimes you need to know that. You know, you may not want to go into that room. And uh, this next one is from a Shanghai park. It says, slip and fall down carefully. That's always important. How about this one also in a park? Keep off the lake. Now, this sign actually is for Jesus and Peter only. Um, Do not walk on the water. Do not walk on the water here. And this next one, I don't know if this is a nightclub or a bookstore, but they're advertising fragrant and hot Marxism. Uh, Just what the world's been waiting for? I I don't know. And, And then how about this? do drunken driving. That's kind of a weird rule. I don't know about that one. And then this, this next sign is actually the most confusing of all to me. I have no idea what they're trying to say. Please forgive to be incontinent for interior decoration. And, and this, the one that's after this may explain the first one. Civilization, go to the toilet, thanks to everyone. They have a lot of delicious menu items to eat in Shanghai. I thought I'd share a few of this first one, Bacteria dictaphore Woo Chicken. And if you don't want that, maybe you would like the salted pork wax gourd soup that comes along with it. Or maybe you would rather have some fresh crap. I mean, it's fresh and it's only $7.99 a pound. And uh, I understand that this next item goes well with this. It's the poo poo smoothies that. (laughs) Uh, Evidently, there's also a restaurant that serves this item a roasted husband. (laughs) And there are some guys right now that are thinking, I have been, I mean, I've had that before. Uh, the last one I'll show you, this is proudly displayed in this giant English translation on a storefront. Smart, noshery, makes you slobber. So communication is hard, right? And a uh, uh, show of hands here, how many of you have ever tried to speak a foreign language and you're pretty sure you messed it up just as badly as those signs, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Translating one language to another is very difficult. And this just kind of reminds us that when we as Christ followers try to communicate our faith, uh, sometimes we mangle it too. And we have this great message that we're trying to translate into our culture. and, And sometimes we try, but it comes off negative or judgmental or preaching, sometimes just plain weird. Now, I want to show you a little bit about what I'm talking about. These are some actual sermon titles, some actual things that churches published in like newspapers and stuff. And The first one I'll show you in a second is this pastor, I believe, was preaching a message on the demon-possessed man in Luke chapter 8. And if you remember that story, this guy was in the tombs and he didn't have any clothes. And it's just a really, really kind of tragic scene, but Jesus steps in. And I think this pastor thought, you know, this this would be a really creative title for me to use. And so they put it on the ad right under his name, Pastor Wilson. And then the sermon title said, a nude dude in a rude mood. (laughs) Hey, let's pack up the kids and go see Pastor Wilson. You know, I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, Here's another actual sermon title. As printed in the paper, it says, Christians stink. We are called to be the odorant to the world relating to the odorant added to LP gas. And like, what? Is this pastor an alien? I mean, what is he talking about? And then this one, this is true, Uh, what hell is like special music by our church organist. (laughs) Anybody ever been to that church? Um, uh, I I got one more for you. This is from a church ad, uh, morning and evening services. A.M., the preacher preaches, P.M., what the fool said. So we we might be able to use that translation around here sometimes. I don't know. Well, you know, communication is tough, especially when it comes to talking about our faith. And many of us are just intimidated about that prospect. We, d- we don't like the sales pitch, marketing approach that we feel like some people push. We, we, we feel like the little brochures with the four steps or the five ways are kind of artificial. They don't really fit with us. And as a result of this sort of thing, a lot of us just don't do anything. We don't share. We, we allow our discomfort and our uncertainty as an excuse to not do anything at all. But we need to be reminded today that Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our squad captain, has given us some squad goals. And the first one we're going to look at today is actually summed up uh, most uh, importantly, I believe, in what we know as the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew 28, and this is what Jesus said to all of his disciples, "'Therefore go and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I have another question. How how many of you started feeling guilty just as soon as you understood what I was gonna be talking about this morning? You know, this kind of this thing in the pit of your stomach and I don't want to build up guilt today. So I want you to know that. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you that it doesn't have to be the way we've kind of talked about it. You don't need to be a fake salesman. You don't have to be rude. And you don't need to be afraid. Because if you learn to share your faith the way Jesus did, you can actually do it with respect and with gentleness. You can get truth across and it can actually make sense to people. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Our first squad goal is that we will share our faith like Jesus Christ, and we will translate the message he has given us into a message that our culture can actually understand. And to show you how Jesus did it, I want you to turn to John chapter four, And, and I might state it this way. Our goal is to be a people who freely share our faith like Jesus did. Now, in the gospel of John chapter four, we will see Jesus meeting a woman at a well, and this meeting is going to show us a great pattern for how we can uh, in, in, integrate sharing our faith into our, our daily lives. I'm going to show you four things in this encounter, four things that Jesus did that we can also do, and i want to give you kind of a guarantee, okay? I, I want to tell you this. If your eyes and ears are open, I guarantee that God's going to give you an opportunity to do what you learn this week, God is going to give you an opportunity to do what you learned today, this week, if your eyes and your ears are open. And if he does, and if you're paying attention and if something happens, I want to encourage you just let me know. You can send me an email. And it doesn't even have to be some big successful thing. I actually uh, took a step of faith. I won't explain how uh, trying to communicate something to someone who doesn't know God Um, this week, and I haven't even heard back yet. I don't know if they're mad um, or if they're going to respond at all or what, but I'm trusting that God's going to work as I'm stepping into a situation and see what he's going to do in the days that are ahead. So how can we share our faith like Jesus? Four things. Here's the first. We need to get close to people far from God. So to share your faith, you need to get close to people. This is actually pretty obvious. It's kind of hard to talk to people if you're not around them, right? Anybody want to give me an amen on that one? I just want to make sure you're tracking with me here. We have to be around people. You need to walk across the street sometimes. You need to to grill some burgers and invite the neighbors over. You need to get out of your Christian ivory tower if you're kind of living there all the time. Get around people who are far from God. Get close to them. That's what Jesus does. Uh, We see this starting in verse 3 where John writes, Jesus left Judea. Now, this is down in the south of Palestine where Jerusalem is. He went back once more to Galilee. This is up in the north. And then John says, now he had to go through Samaria. John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I want you to circle or underline that word had. If you read this too fast, you're going to miss it. And I'm kind of thinking this may have been a joke that John was making because no religious Jew of the first century had to go through Samaria. Here's why. A little history. About 500 years before this account, the Jews were conquered by the Assyrian kingdom and and their land was taken over. Most of the, the Jewish people were deported to Assyria. And the ones who were left behind, kind of the dregs of the culture, the poorest people, the sick, uh, the ones who were left behind, they ended up intermarrying with all the pagan people that the Assyrians threw into uh, their land. It's just part of how they survived in the desolation. Uh, About 70 years later, the Israelites returned home, and they, they hate the people who had intermarried with the pagan people in adopting their cultures. They saw them as compromisers. And in fact, the the Jewish people hated them so badly, they would not let them worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the Samaritans, which is what the Jewish people called uh, these these people, said, fine, you won't let us worship in your temple. We're going to build our own temple on this mountain. And that's what they did at at Mount Gerizim. And this was like the last straw to the Jews. And so for for 500 years, they've had this, this feud going on. And the temple Um, And the mountain, Mount Gerizim, was kind of the icon of their friction. They were always arguing about which mountain was the right mountain for worshiping God. So here's the picture. The Jews hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans hate the Jews. And this just goes on for centuries. And it it got to the point in Jesus' day when if you were going to travel from Judea in the south up north to Galilee, Any Jew of the day wouldn't take the the straight route. They would walk all the way out to the east, across the Jordan River, walk all the way up and come back rather than just walking the normal straight path to get there. This is, by the way, in case you're wondering, this is not like adding 30 minutes to your commute. This is adding days of travel, walking, but they would do that because they did not want to go through Samaria. But John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus takes this straight route. Why? Well, Jesus knew that God had a divine appointment waiting for him at a well at high noon in a little village named Sychar. I want to pause here for just a moment, and I want to share with you some really, really good news about this story for you today. Because there are some of you here, and you probably are feeling like, you know what, I am a long way from God today. In fact, I kind of feel like a Samaritan. I'm the kind of person that that, you know, good church religious people, they they avoid me. In fact, I'm kind of nervous about even being here at, at church today. I want you, if that's you, just to listen to what I'm about to say. You need to see from what I've just told you that even though you may be off the beaten path for everyone else, Jesus still comes looking for you. He is looking for you right now, and he wants to reach you. And Jesus is calling his followers to do the same thing. So I just want to challenge you as we start. Are are you intentionally getting close in your life to people far from God? Uh, This story gets better. Second thing we see Jesus doing is he seeks common ground. Now, it's really important that you incorporate all these aspects, uh, forth insights into your life because you never really know when God ha- has a divine appointment for you like he does for Jesus here at this well. But well, watch how Jesus does this in verses five and six. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, stop here. Again, if you read this too fast, you'll miss it. Why don't you underline the words Jacob, and then Jacob's well, and then the well. John keeps repeating himself about the well. Why? Well, again, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. But watch this. Both the Jews and the Samaritans loved Jacob They revered him as their their forefather, their ancestor. That means that this well, Jacob's well, is literally common ground. Jesus, a Jew, goes there to meet a Samaritan. I found this vintage photograph of the well. It's around 100 years old. But from what we understand, this probably looks a lot like what it would have looked like when Jesus was there. It's not like this today. Uh, this is now a suburb, and there's a lot of homes all around this, and actually there's a church built over this side of this well. But it may have looked something like this when Jesus was there, just is this picture of, of common ground. Uh, look what happens next, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So this woman has come to the well. Uh, Some scholars believe that the town itself was about five miles from where the well was located. And that means she's walked five miles to get to the well. Uh, The previous verse said it was the sixth hour, which in John's gospel means it's high noon. That means it's hot. She's walked five miles at high noon, it's hot. What do you think is on her mind? Well, water, right? I mean, she's thirsty. And so what does Jesus do? He he seeks common ground. He starts talking about water. Will you give me a drink? Again, do not miss this. How, How do we talk about spiritual things without being overbearing or unnecessarily odd? We start the conversation like Jesus does on a place of common ground. In this situation, water is on both of their minds. And so Jesus says something that provides a chance for this woman to enter into a spiritual conversation. Now, you may be thinking, well, how do I do this? Well, there are so many ways. There's no way that I could tell each of you how you could do this. I just wanna give you one example that probably could apply to most of us at some time or another. It's a very common question that we all ask and answer uh, on a regular basis in our lives. It's a question that you're likely to either ask or have asked of you tomorrow when you're at work. It's the question, how was your weekend? You ask people that question sometimes, right? How was your weekend? People ask you that question sometimes, right? How was your weekend? So you ask um, that question uh, maybe tomorrow it's to somebody that you work with and they're probably going to tell you. They're going to say, well, I did this and took my kids here and we did that. And then what are they likely to say to you? How was your weekend? And so now that means you can tell them, well, I did this and we went here. And then on Sunday, we went to church and I heard this amazingly profound, provocative, life-changing message from our awesome pastor, whose name is Mike. You could actually say that. And then they're probably going to respond, right? Now, some of them are going to say, oh, what church do you go to? And you can tell them. We'll see where it goes from there. Some of them might say, you know, I used to go to church when I was a kid. I hated it. Let me tell you why I don't want to go to church. That's actually not a bad response, because now you have a chance to see where that can go, right? But see, you ask a question, they respond, and we trust God to open doors and take us down paths. We can have an interesting conversation, but it starts With common ground. And and you find common ground when you pay attention to other people, when you listen to their lives, when you get out of yourself and and live kind of like Jesus lived. That's when you see God working. Now, this is what Jesus does. And after this woman hears that Jesus was willing to ask her for a drink, she has an interesting response. This is what we see. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? I want to ask you a question. Think about it. How did she know Jesus was a Jew? Did he say he was a Jew? No. He just asked her one question How did she know? Well, it really can mean only one thing Jesus looked and sounded very obviously Jewish, right? See, he must not have looked the way we often portray him in our culture, the way he is in pictures sometimes, the way he is in movies. You know, kind of the Jesus with the light brown hair, maybe sandy blonde, kind of Jesus surfer dude, Jesus. Because if Jesus had looked like that, this woman would have said to him, how is it that you, Jesus, being Swedish, have asked me for a drink? (laughs) But she doesn't say that, right? She, she sees that he looks like a Jewish man. Now, why was that important? Well, it just reminds us that Jesus was part of his culture, just like you and me. It also reminds us of this, and this is very important. Jesus, in this encounter, is reaching across culture. He is reaching, uh, taking deliberate steps to reach across culture, not just talking to people that he naturally relates to. That goes back to number one, right? See, how many of us just kind of hang around only with people a lot like us, people we're comfortable with? We, we can't accomplish Jesus' squad goals if we just stay in our squad all the time. Now, he goes past other boundaries too. Uh, she's a woman. And that's part of what her question is, how is it that you, a man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, just like many Middle Eastern countries today, men in these days did not talk to, they didn't even look at women in public. And And then there's something else that's going on here. Scholars also tell us that this was an unusual time to come and get water. See, if it gets hot in the middle of the day, you don't really want to go when it's hot, right? And carry a big, heavy jar of water. You go in the morning in the cool of the day. And that's when most people would go to the well. Why is she going at this time? Well, because some people go at other times because they don't want to encounter most of the other people in their community. They don't want to listen to their insults. They don't want to receive their scorn. They're kind of outcasts. And so they go at a time when they know nobody else is is going to go when it's hot. In other words, uh, this Samaritan woman was likely not a good girl. we're gonna see more about that in a moment. But here's the reality. Jesus is here waiting for her. He deliberately picks her, not her priest not the mayor of her village. He picks her, her to reach her whole town. You know, we we get so tied up in knots sometimes about this. We get all worried that we're not going to get the words right. I wonder if any of you heard about that new study came out recently. Um, It was a study that said that Women who carry a little bit of extra weight live much longer uh, than the men who mention that weight. (laughs) See, aren't we kind of afraid to say things sometimes because we're gonna get it wrong and say the wrong thing? I, I wanted to encourage you today, if you know Jesus, that in this area, what you really need to do is relax and rest in trust of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And you're not always going to say the exact right thing. Should you be surprised? They're going to say it wrong sometimes. But here's the thing God is really good at working with screw ups like us. God loves to use messed up people to reach other messed up people. And that's really good news because we're all messed up. And so, we just need to kind of get over ourselves sometimes and trust God, get close to people who are far from God, look around, pay attention, find that common ground, and then take a step of faith and see what God does with it. And then when God opens the door and you get to walk through it, here's the third thing. Use your words strategically. Uh, Learn how to speak wisely and thoughtfully Some of you need to hear this. Don't just data dump everything you know from the Bible onto someone in one conversation. be strategic, even be intriguing. I want you to notice three insights from the way Jesus handles this. I'm gonna put it in these words. The first thing that we learn from him is we need to stay simple. Uh, Again, you don't have to explain the whole Bible in one conversation. You don't have to get the entire message out every time. Uh, What we read is this. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now again, he's talking about water because it's common ground. He says, hey, we're all thirsty. And then he sort of lets it linger. He doesn't really explain it. He stops talking. And if you read this text, you'll see she essentially says, what? what are you talking about? And then Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water pointing to the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then he stops talking again. He just kind of drops it out there. It's very intriguing. It's almost mysterious. And this is just really so elegant. It's simple without being simplistic. And again, I I just want to pause and say to some of you, maybe you need to hear what Jesus is saying to this woman for yourself. Maybe you too are here this morning and you are recognizing that you've been drinking water that doesn't satisfy. You're always thirsty. You're chasing success. You're just buying stuff, trying, trying to find happiness, but it never brings you what you're looking for. You're putting stuff in your body to self medicate, but it never makes you happy. You keep going back to the same well, and you're drinking again and again, and Jesus is saying to you, Can't you see? That well doesn't satisfy. It may taste good for a while. But it never lasts. You just keep getting thirsty again. It never works. Jesus is saying to you, just like he was saying to that woman, do I have a drink for you? It's just such a beautiful metaphorical explanation of the gospel. See, stay simple. A part of uh, using words strategically also would be to stay positive. And what I'm saying here is some of us need to get over the compulsion to instantly, immediately correct whatever's wrong in other people's lives. We need to be patient. We we, we need to speak truth. But some of us immediately jump on what we see going on and try to fix that thing, and we get all judgmental and preachy. But watch what Jesus does. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. She's thinking, this is a good deal. Tell me how to get it. Verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. And she was like, "Uh, well... Jesus, I, um, um, well, it's sort of like this. Uh, verse 17, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I mean, can you imagine this lady at the well high noon talking to a stranger, and she is going, oh, snap. (laughs) She's like, how did he know? And we're not told how he knows, but he's God, and he knows. I want you to see what he's doing here. Uh, His response is fascinating. Underline in your Bible or in your notes the phrase, you are right. And then a little later when Jesus says the words... Uh, He says, what you have just said is quite true. Jesus says the only positive thing there is to say about what she just said. Well, you're honest about your sleeping around. I give that to you. He He says it twice. What you've said is really true. Thanks for being honest. See, we need to stay positive. And there's several reasons I could think of. A couple I'll give you. First one is nagging never works. Anyone want to give a testimony to that one? Some of you want to give a testimony on behalf of the person sitting next to you about nagging, but that's another subject. The second reason is because this woman, she does not need to try to get better. See, sometimes we try to correct the sins in people's lives and we tell them what they're doing wrong and we end up steering them around the right point to something that's not right. We tell them what's wrong in their lives and what they end up thinking is that's what their religion means. I gotta try hard to do better. I, 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 I need to try hard not to do that anymore. We end up telling them something we don't even believe. No one here really believes that you're saved by your works, right? We believe you're saved by grace and yet the way we interact with people sometimes communicates that we think they need to fix themselves so that Jesus will receive them. See, there is a Holy Spirit. He's not you. And he knows exactly when to tell people what's wrong with their lives. He does a really, really good job of it, doesn't he? So we, we can stay positive. We'll have opportunities to speak the truth about what's sin and what's not. But that's not what she needed right in this moment. What she needed was Jesus. Jesus. Third thing we see in this conversation is stay focused. Now, Starting in verse 19, this woman says, "'Sir, I can see that you are a prophet.'" And it's like this, she's like saying, "'And since you know so much, "'and since I really, really want to change the subject, "'I have a question.'" Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What mountain should we worship on? Here's what she's doing. She goes straight for the biggest argument Jews and Samaritans had. It is a total smokescreen. It is a total diversion. She doesn't want to talk about her life. Has anyone ever noticed that when you're talking to people, trying to share the good news, oftentimes... They will try to divert the subject and talk about politics or talk about some controversial issue or talk about some philosophical question. They'll try to go away from it. But Jesus stays focused. He directs her back to what's really important. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus just sidesteps the controversy. He speaks the truth, but he gets right back to what matters. Once again, let me pause Uh, and say something. Maybe you're a person who's checking out Christianity. You're wondering about becoming a Christ follower, but maybe you're kind of like this woman. You find yourself easily distracted about all kinds of controversial issues. You have all kinds of questions, and you really want answers to those questions. Maybe Jesus is saying to you today what he says to this woman. For now, I want you to set those issues aside because right now Jesus is saying to you, I am standing at the well and I have open arms and I am offering you living water to drink. Now I'm going to pause again and talk to those of us who are already followers of Christ. Because I'm, I'm recognizing as I talk about these things, I think they're very clear, they're very straightforward, they're easy to understand. But I also know What some of you are thinking. Some of you are right now thinking, yeah, Pastor Mike, I understand what you're saying, but it is not that easy. It doesn't work that way in the real world. Pastor Mike, you live up here at the church where the angels fly around all the time. I live in the real world, and it's not that easy. Well, I'm not suggesting that it's easy, but I'm gonna remind you of a couple things that you can write down. The first thing is this our job is not to win debates or close sales. Our job is simply to share what we have experienced. In fact, I'm going to give you a real basic definition of evangelism, and it's simply this announcing good news. That's what evangelism is about. Just announcing good news. We we do this all the time. How, How many of you here have ever lost five pounds and you went around telling everyone you knew? I lost five pounds. I lost five pounds. Someone says, You're looking pretty good. I know, I lost five pounds. Like you're an evangelist. You're telling everybody what's happened in your life. How about if you go to work tomorrow and you're in your cubicle and your boss comes over to you and says, hey, I wanna let you know I'm giving you a good raise. Your boss is an evangelist. Anybody wanna pray for some evangelism at work tomorrow? It's just announcing good news. That's what the essence of it is about. We share the news and, and the gospel has power to change people's hearts. Second thing I want us to see is that we don't need to be intimidated because God has already done the hard work. God has already done the hard work. God calls us just to tell people good news. And, and we make it complicated. We think that means we have to be Bible scholars. We have to be people who know all the philosophical questions, all the answers to all the questions that people have about religion. We have to be people who are super articulate. But you need to remember, God has already done all the hard work. Has anybody here that's heard about the uh, Death Valley Superbloom? You ever heard about that, anybody? There's a couple people in each service that's recognized that. Maybe you read about it in the news. And if you haven't heard about it, here's what it is. Every few years uh, in Death Valley, these flowers just bloom way more than normal. And what happens is this. All the time, all the time, there are billions and billions and billions of flower seeds in the ground, in the desert. But most years they don't get enough rain. And so only a few flowers bloom. But this year we had El Nino, right? Remember that? And there was so much moisture in Death Valley that Death Valley just came alive. And listen to this quote. This is a botanist who said, there are so many seeds out there just waiting to sprout and grow. See, what happens when the right amount of water comes on the seeds that are already there? Let me show you some pictures of what it looks like. Isn't that incredible? That's Death Valley. Friends, as you look at these pictures, you need to remember in our world, the seed is already there. That's the hard part. God has already done it. You see, inside the soul of every person, and again, this may be some of you, you're here today, but you're not following Jesus. You are far from God. You would admit that yourself. I want to tell you something about yourself, and you're going to recognize it's true. Inside you, you know that you are a creature, and there is a creator. You intuitively look around you at creation, and you know, you see things like this, you know There's got to be something bigger than time and space and matter that's built all of this. You know it. Creation cries out that we are not alone, that we did not come from nothing. Inside you, you also know there is a sense of right and a sense of wrong. And you know when you lie and when you take advantage of people, when you steal or cheat some way, when you do anything against God's 10 rules, you feel bad inside, don't you? See, that is the echo of the creator in your heart saying that you were meant for more. See, God has already planted the seeds inside every human soul. We don't need to argue or debate people into heaven. We don't need to change people. We just need to water the seeds with truth and kindness. And God, he brings forward the bloom. I want you to look at your notes so far. Do you want more opportunities to share your faith? Well, you need to do what Jesus did. You need to get close to people far from God. You need to look for common ground and you need to use your words strategically. Here's the last thing you also need to do. We need to see people as Jesus sees them. Verse 28 says, then leaving her water jar, I kind of envision her just dropping it like clunk on the ground. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, all Jesus told her was that she'd been with a lot of men, but apparently she felt that was all she ever did. And she said, could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, skip ahead to verse 39 It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, quote, he told me everything I ever did. Do you know what this means? This means that this is the first time in the gospel of John that anyone ever says that they have trusted, believed in Jesus as their savior. This means that this woman is the first missionary, the first evangelist in the gospel of John a very unlikely suspect that Jesus picks to do this. And I'm going to get back to that in a moment. But as she's leaving, somewhere in this, the disciples are, are, are and the people are coming back, the disciples are also returning from town, and, and they show up on the scene. And this happens a lot, actually, in John's gospel. They kind of show up sort of like the, the bumbling, comic relief that kind of comes in from the side, you know. And um, remember, they've probably walked five miles to town and five miles back, verse 31 Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says to them, okay, well, food's on your mind. Let's talk food. I don't need your food. (laughs) Verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples said to each other, what? We walked for 10 miles? Who snuck in here and got him some food? That's verse 33. (laughs) Verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Now, watch what he's doing. He is refocusing his followers. Uh, he, he says, While we're on the subject of food, boys, verse 35, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Here's how I imagine that Jesus is standing kind of like this, the disciples are in front of him, and I think Jesus points over their shoulders to behind them. And they turn around and they see streams of Samaritan men coming out of their village of Sychar towards Jesus. Now, here's something you need to know. In those disciples' paradigm, they see this and they think, this is a race riot waiting to happen. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. You know, put them all together. And then you got Peter, who's hot tempered. Remember, he's going to cut some guy's ear off with a sword at some point. But Jesus says, no. No open your eyes, reorient your thinking. That, that key phrase is open your eyes. Jesus says, you're afraid of these people, but these are people that God loves. See, he says to them, I know they're different. They're Samaritans, you're Jews. They're Republicans, you're Democrats. They're Raider fans, you're Niner fans. He says, open your eyes. Do not see them as the others, but see them as the ones that God loves. I was thinking about this yesterday. I started thinking about some of you who are here and some of you who, if you wanted to, could stand up right now and tell your story. And and your story would say that you're a lot like the Samaritan woman. But one day, someone saw you like Jesus sees you, and they shared good news with you. And and maybe your life was filled with a long trail of broken relationships. Maybe you were cheating and lying your way to business success. Maybe you were enslaved to an addiction of some kind. But someone saw you like Jesus saw you, sees you, and you listened to their announcement of good news, the news that God so loved you that he sent his one and only son and and Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins and you believed that good news and you placed your trust in that Jesus. Uh, You gave him your life and you became his follower. And now today, a few years, maybe many years later, your story would tell us this, that God is now using you in ways that one day in the past you would have never thought was possible. Some of you are leading small groups right now where you're helping other people to see how Jesus can change their lives. Some of you are in Celebrate Recovery and you're working on your recovery, but you're there and and you're helping other people recover from their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups some of you serve every week in our children's ministry, and you are teaching, and you are serving children, because you want to make sure that those kids don't go through what you went through. You want to help them live a different life. And see, the reality is for you, a few years ago, you would have never believed what's reality today is possible, right? And maybe Maybe no one else who knew you back then would have believed it as well, but today it's real. Today it's true. Today it's happening. Jesus changed your life, and it all started when someone looked at you and they saw you the way Jesus sees you. See, when you leave today and you drive around Tracy or you drive over the hill this week and you see people in Tracy over the hill wherever you are, Here's my question. Are you going to open your eyes? Are you going to see them as Jesus sees them? Are you going to see the fields that are ripe for harvest? There are opportunities everywhere if we just open our eyes to see them. I want to give you one more thing that's kind of the bottom line. I hope we'll just frame everything we've been talking about. Uh, And it's simply this since our faith is about a relationship, we need to look for ways to share Jesus'. In relationships. Nothing that I'm saying here is about a canned presentation. It's not about a marketing strategy. It's not about how good a debater you are. We get that mixed up sometimes. Remember that sign we saw, fragrant and hot Marxism? Sometimes I think we communicate our faith that way. You know, come check out our fragrant, hot Christianity. And it's not about that. It's about real life. It's about sharing our faith like Jesus did It's about doing it in relationship. And so let's all pray that God would give us open eyes to see the opportunities all around us. And when he gives us those those eyes to see and the doors open and we walk through those doors and we use our words strategically, then let's just see what he does. And then you can send me an email because I want to hear. I want to hear how God is working in your life. It's going to be great. God's going to do amazing things. Would you bow your, your heads and close your eyes as we pray together? As your heads are bowed, your eyes are, are closed. I, I just want to say another word to anyone who may be here um, who's relating to this woman before she met Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've come to Southwinds today feeling ashamed and unworthy because of choices you've made and things you've done. And... And I just want to be really clear that what Jesus says to you today is not behave. He doesn't say try to be better. What Jesus says to you is this. I love you and I choose you. I gave my life for you so that your sins might be forgiven. Jesus says to you, if you will repent of your sins, if you will place your trust in me, then I will give you living water. It is a spring that will well up to eternal life. You're gonna live forever if you follow me. And that can happen today. That can happen today. Father, I just want to pray for anyone who may be in that place, maybe feeling lost and lonely like that woman in the well. Would they hear your gospel, your good news today, Father? Lord, would you grant repentance and faith today? Open their eyes so that they see what you have done for them in your son, Jesus Christ. And may they turn to you, receive your life. And God, I also want to pray for those of us who maybe are more like those bumbling disciples. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give each of us opportunities to talk to someone about Jesus this week, and we don't know where it'll be. It may happen at work or in our neighborhood, but Lord, may each of us find the joy and the excitement of telling others about living water, good news life eternal, forgiveness of sins, the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears to see what you are doing all around us. And then may we have faith and obedience to walk through the doors that you open for us. We pray these things, Father, now in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. And everyone says.